Hey, hey, welcome to another version of the Pastor Duke podcast. We're going to be doing an interview with Pastor Larry DeNovo, one of my preacher boys, even though he's a few months older than me. Uh, one of the greatest things that can ever happen in a pastoral ministry is when God puts his hand on another man and uh, calls him into that ministry. And uh, that's been our joy here at uh, Temple Baptist and Church at Newtown Road through the years. Larry's one of my preacher boys. And uh, we did a podcast last week on uh, Larry's call coming out of Roman Catholicism, uh, how he met his wife. Uh, my wife and I took him to Ohio, found him a woman, and God was in that day. We talked about our family connections, how we uh, dedicated our babies side by side, his little girl Jocelyn, our little boy Duke, and uh, who would have ever guessed that uh, about 23 years later, 24 years later, mm-hmm. they would be uh, at the altar again, this time as husband and wife. And Pastor Larry, Marianne, Joanne, and I share three wonderful grandchildren together. And we have uh, a grandchild that uh, in heaven, uh, little Caleb Michael, uh, died uh, in the womb about a day before his birth. And we can't wait to see him on the other side. And so we have these just incredible God story connections. But uh, today we want to focus on ministry, the some of the triumphs and then some of the trials. And it's going to be riveting, heart uh, heart-rending uh, to you as you get into about the middle part of this uh, podcast today and great trial of affliction and hardship and heartache that came upon uh, the de novos. So uh, Larry, with the, uh, our last talk, we mentioned about kind of training in the trenches uh, as an uh, usher or deacon, not an usher, I think you did that too. Usher, deacon, Sunday school teacher. Wore a lot of heads. (laughs) (laughs) Headed up our building program and uh, kept me out of jail that year. That was a wonderful thing. (laughs) And uh, you're a businessman. uh, You're a dad. You're a church planter. uh, You're a Bible teacher. And new ministries unfolding even as we speak. But kind of want to focus a little bit about uh, kind of pick up. You you launched into this new church and then it was kind of a little bit of a merger came and and God put his hand on it, and uh, just your building, uh, there's just the hand of God on how he provides buildings for little churches that don't have any money and all that kind of stuff. So kind of pick up, you're, you're launching your church and then the, the merger, just pick up what, that part of the story. Okay. I'd like to just begin by thanking you and uh, all the guys that were part of the Bible Institute. I think of Pastor George Whitman and uh, Claude Hine and Mike Switzer. Those were the guys. Those men are all with the Lord now. You know, and they all uh, they all contributed to our education, helped John Horn, helped Bill Blake, helped Don McGrath. And uh, we had quite a dynamic group at that time. I appreciate the Lord what the Lord did. But it was, uh, there was a lot of fear and trepidation launching a church. Um, I remember, as I mentioned before, not knowing where God wanted us to go, and God used you. To, to plant that seed and to go to Gilderland, and that seed germinated. And uh, it, that call of God was uh, upon me and my wife. And I really didn't know what in the world I was doing. <laughs> uh, you have the complications of owning a family business and partnership and trying to balance out getting out of a, a business and into the Lord's work. And so the, you just, Oh, you come and tell the story. Like there's no problem. You tell people about Jesus and they get saved. And it's not that simple, is it? No, it's not. You know, I, I the biggest fear I had was the fear of failure. And, Oh boy. And, uh, we didn't, you know, and I thank the Lord for people that came from temple. They didn't stay with us, but they came to help us. And I think of George Rescla. I think of Joanne and Frank Marinello. I mean, a number of other people from Temple came down. George going door to door with me. I mean, we passed, we went, we hit over a thousand doors in Gildland at the very, very beginning. And of course, you remember the story about George, how, you know, he was a diabetic. And, you know, unfortunately, he uh, developed a sore on his foot that actually led to the amputation of his foot, then his leg. Yeah, I was on door-to-door visitation. Yeah, I was doing door-to-door, and I think, yeah. you know, he's in heaven today rejoicing that he went, you know, and I appreciate his sacrifice. But nonetheless, we uh, we launched that church, and in the very beginning, we prayed about a place to go and just driving around, praying where the Lord might have us meet. 
and there was a uh, there was a building on in Gildland Center on Route 146. It was an old church building. It was a Lutheran church building that was a community center. It was called St. Mark's Community Center. Uh, and it was uh, a church that dissolved, a uh, Lutheran church that dissolved in the 50s. They turned it over to the town of Gildland. The town of Gildland made it a community center. So there, there were a number of different organizations that were meeting there. So I called the town. I inquired about it. And we were able to meet there, not Sunday mornings because there was another church plant meeting there Sunday mornings, but we met there on Sunday nights. Now, that's going back uh, in 1988, early 1988 when that took place. And uh, we only had to pay $40 a month to to rent that facility. In New York, that's a total miracle. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, we... Uh, they were humble beginnings, and I started. I started the church. We named it Bible Baptist Church. I remember the very ser- first service on March twentieth, nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, all the Temple Baptist Church came for the first service, and it was a big building. They had a beautiful balcony in there and everything, and packed it out. We packed it out, and uh, uh, that was uh, that was a sweet time. And and then it was March twenty seventh when those people were no longer there. And it was just me, my wife, and my daughter, and uh, a few people from Temple that came to give us some support. Uh, but uh, that's where the rubber met the road. And uh, let the ministry begin. Yeah. Well, shortly after that, we had our first family come. Uh, uh, Bob and Sharon didn't. They came to our church. I think it was like maybe a month afterwards. And that was after really hitting the road hard, going door to door. And they... They had our flyer. They read about it, and uh, they were going to a um, a reformed church at the time. But she got saved, and she knew her husband wasn't. But uh, they had an inclination to come, and she they started coming, and they stayed. And uh, we kind of started things with them. That was just a, they were that was a Sunday night service, uh, and that lasted. Um, for probably a few months until the church that was meeting their Sunday mornings actually moved out. Um, but uh, while we were there, there was another church just about eight miles away from us, a church of like faith, uh, Berean Baptist Church. The pastor, Wayne Feeler, uh, was there for a few years. They had running a congregation of about 30, 35 people. Uh, he was resigning he contacted me to see if I might be interested in possibly candidating for this church. And uh, to make a long story short, I did. They voted me in as their pastor on August 7th of 1988, and we merged. Um, we only had about 13 people. They had about 30, 35 people. So we all met together, and uh, they were meeting in New Salem and near Borisville. Uh, on Sunday mornings, and we were meeting Sunday nights in Gilderland Center. So it was kind of awkward, a church in two different locations. But um, I did not want to surrender and give up that building that was in Gilderland Center because I felt the Lord had divinely directed us there. So yeah, I'd like to interject. This building was built in 1871, and it is a landmark in that town, and it was in pretty much disrepair. It wasn't well kept, but uh, when your church came in, um, that building got ship-shaped, beautiful, and something that the entire town was really proud just to drive by, and just. And I thought that was a wonderful thing, how God will use his church to kind of uh, renovate things a little bit and sharpen up the town. I know the town was really proud of uh, of how you guys made that look. And I know it's not the important thing, the buildings and all that, but it is a reflection of the heart of the people within. So it's a, it's a place where people are getting saved, and that's why you go. But it's also a place where the community took pride in and in, in, what you guys did there. So I was just uh, the old grand pastor up the, up the road there in uh, Half Moon, New York, but uh, we were really proud of, 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 of that facility that you guys did there and made it very beautiful. Amen. Well, anyway, going forward from 1988, um, we kept on putting money into our building fund. Uh, and for the next four years, we re-rented two different facilities, <laughs> which was really weird. Um, uh, uh, I, I'm sorry, not the whole four years, but it, probably uh, three of the four years. But at any rate, the uh, the town of Gildland uh, had 
had to make some tax cuts. They no longer wanted to maintain the building uh, at St. Mark's Community Center, so they put it back into the lap of the Lutheran Synod. Then the Lutheran Synod wanted to put it up for sale, but they already had a viable tenant that was interested in buying it, and that was us. Um, and so they put an asking price of $125,000 for the building, and that was almost the exact amount we had in our building fund. Uh, and uh, we had, we, there were other churches that wanted to buy the building, but uh, actually we went to, well, we, we competed with another Christian Orthodox church, and we both submitted offers, and uh, we submitted an offer of $125,001. <laughs> I think they submitted a, a bid of 125000 but we ended up, God, God gave us the building, and so that was a real milestone for us as a church. The you anointed know? $1. <laughs> <laughs> we, we beat them out by a buck. How about that? <laughs> A dollar makes a difference. It sure does. It sure does. But, you know, God was in it, and we needed a play. We needed a home to, to meet in. So that, uh, so then we had to go to, we had to roll up our sleeves and go to work. We, there's a lot of work that we had to do. Um, I could tell you all the different organizations were in there. It, it, they kind of took the beauty away of something that was so authentic when it was built as a, uh, as a church and, Back in 1871, and actually, believe it or not, back in 1871, it was a Lutheran church. They had, they preached the gospel. People got saved from Gildland Center, and, you know, they used to bring their horse and buggies there, park in the back, and mm -hmm. um, they filled that place up back then. And our desire was to fill it up uh, with people as well. And uh, so anyway, uh, I'm thankful, Lord, for the people that God put in our church to make that happen. I think of people that were really instrumental in the ministry of uh, um, Berean Baptist Church. Um, people like Bob and Patty Semp, John and Mary Elsasser, Sean and Lori Riley, Jerry and Jill Uriberry, and Mark Carhart, who was my treasurer for over a decade. And even when I, after I had left, he continued being treasurer. So these all people were um, foundational to the, the future of that church. So I praise the Lord for that. You know, the church is a pillar and ground of truth. It's the hope of the world. And you just think of these great people that God brings in. And they have no clue of, of just how important they are. And they just, they just find their gifts and they fill in and do whatever is necessary to be done. And a gospel light it was shining in a dark place mm. right on the main drag going through the city. And... Um, and I was uh, privileged to to preach there. I think probably at least every year for the whole time uh, you were there. And it was uh, we made many great memories and watched uh, uh, great things happening. You know, we talk about the triumphs and uh, in ministry. We talk about the buildings and the miracle because that's how God does the supernatural in ways that we can see Him mm -hmm. do it. But as the pastors, we know it's not so much the building and the lands and how pretty and the steeple and then the people drive by and ooh and ah, what a beautiful old building uh, is kept up so beautifully. But it's the people. And uh, you have some thoughts about uh, some real uh, people victories uh, that you want to maybe highlight. Yeah, my mind goes back to people just door knocking, and uh, I think of a guy named Don Brust. He was he sold farm equipment, and uh, uh, he came to our church. I discipled him. He's with the Lord today, but I remember knocking on his door, and I said, "Don, I said, do, do you ever think of spiritual things?" Oh, sometimes he goes. I said, "Well," he said, "I was just listening to Billy Graham last night," and uh, I said, "Well, did you hear his message?" He goes, "Yes, I did," and I said. Uh, I said, well, didn't, when he gave an invitation to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, did you accept him? He said, no, I didn't. And I kind of shared my view of the gospel, and I elaborated on it. And uh, before I ended up leaving his house, he prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as, my, as his Savior. And he'd always go back to that time. He said, Larry, he goes, it was back then I drove a stake in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> there he is, uh, listen to uh, Billy Graham, and the next day you knock on his door. Probably not a coinky-dinky. Not huh? at all. 
Uh, that's why we do what we do uh, to get the gospel into the hearts of people. And there's people seeking Jesus Christ, light at the path of every man that cometh into the world. And then just by divine timing, uh, he sends us there because we seek. But, you know, if you didn't knock on that door, you know, at the human level, probably there was, never there, would have there happened. There were so, several other special memories, but I'll share another one um, with you. Um, Fred and Nancy Lake, they were separated for 25 years, still remained married, never got divorced. Uh, but after 25 years, you know, Fred wanted to reconcile with Nancy, and she said, well, I'll consider it. But he, she said, you need to start coming to church with me. So he started coming to church week after week. And then, you know, uh, he uh, I would talk to Fred after the service, and, uh, you know, he was uh, open but not ready to jump uh, to receive Christ as Savior. But I'll never forget the day God humbled him, and he bowed his knee. He received Jesus as Savior, and then I did. Then he he and Mar- he and Nancy are renewed their vows. Oh my! And that <laughs> that was that was a very that was a Ooh. highlight, a special highlight. And uh, but anyway, that's that's one of many. Yeah, that's what keeps us gone. You know, preachers, we have to wade through all the administrative things and get, you know, uh, banking and uh, the proper insurance policies and all the things in place, constitution and bylaws and getting right with the government and taxation purposes and all that stuff and setting up events and who's coming and approval cards for the children from the parents and all that. But man, what, what we really live for is just sharing the gospel with mm-hmm. people. And when they respond, holy cow, uh, we need it. And a whole lot of that was going on at Berean Baptist Church for uh, how many years were you there total? About, about 30, right? I was there for 29 years in one day, I think, <laughs> total. Yeah. Well, we could go on and on and on about that, but there's some realities I think is very important for uh, our listeners to to be aware of. Uh, I'm guessing most of our listeners uh, attend uh, local churches faithfully. And you see the veneer, you see the outside, you see the pastors uh, struggling and, you know, getting their message together and making church uh, happen for you. And yet uh, Satan is real. He's uh, ever present. Um, Paul said, Satan hath hindered me. And there are attacks that come upon uh, the first family in in the church. I'm talking about the pastor, lead pastor and, and staffist. And uh, you guys got hit with some real hard things. And, you know, in, in ministry, you're kind of living in a glass house. Everybody's watching you. And uh, it's uh, we, we do the very best we can. But you guys got hit with something that is just a, a tragedy. And um, you made it through. Uh, you, you didn't quit. Uh, you, you, you slogged through that. And it wasn't just an event that happened that just uh, one and done. It, it, it was something that has... Uh, applications that and hardships that continue for months and even years to follow. And I think it's important. This might be the most important part of our two-part podcast, Pastor Larry. Um, the Palms of victory we've talked a lot about, and now uh, we talk a little bit about the willows of sorrow and how you guys kind of got hit. And uh, there were people that came around you to help you through it. There were people that uh, may be well-meaning, but were a great hindrance and, and a further heartbreak. And so uh, it's a very tender topic, and uh, just we've prayed that God will give you wisdom to uh, unfold this in a way uh, we probably wouldn't even bring it up, but we want to do everything we can for our hearers to be keenly aware of just how intense this spiritual battle is and to equip you, our listeners, on how to uh, maybe there's a time to really keep your mouth shut and and a time to really uh, pray like you've never prayed before. And, and circle the wagons around uh, hurting people. So, Pastor Larry, uh, I'll just turn this over to you for the uh, next few minutes. Okay. Well, this is a very tender subject, and uh, it was pr- the darkest time, not only of my ministry, but my life. Uh, we were 20 years uh, into the church. It was 2008, and uh, uh, I, I remember the, the Sunday, I remember... We had a fantastic Sunday. A guy named Sal Canavo had come to our church and really uh, helped us out immensely. Just He wanted to see us grow. He wanted to help us improve on some things. 
with our music ministry and so on. And uh, he he's he's with the Lord today, but he was a dear friend and a bigger than life guy, full of energy and just full of Jesus, and uh, one of my great friends too. Yeah. And I remember that Sunday, we had a, we had a wonderful service. We had a great, it was well-tended and just a high-energy service. And uh, it was probably 1230. We're trying to close things up. And uh, my wife had driven up to, to the door, the side door of the church. And she says, you need to come home right away. I said, what's going on? She goes, and she told me that... Um, was uh, revealed to her that our youngest daughter, who was 12 years old, uh, was violated. And it all happened uh, there in the church building. Um, and uh, so huh, I, uh, I swiftly closed up things and went home. And uh, I heard um, what had happened. And uh, just a very, very humbling thing and my daughter Stephanie was uh uh she was so confused at that age just so confused didn't know what in the world was going on but uh I uh I got all I God kind of helped me regroup mentally and got all the details that I needed to get and uh I uh when I heard about the violation I found out who it was and uh, I First thing I did is I went to the town of Gildenland. I filed a f- police report with the police, the law enforcement, which is mandatory in church things. And people get in judgment. And, Why would you do that? Because it's the law, and the Bible says uh, that we are, are to be under the laws and under that authority. And so. I just wanted to interject here because I, I've seen people divide over this. It is mandatory when there these uh, moral kind of failures that happen to our people, whether it happened in the church, outside of the church, the moment ministry people uh, become aware of that, the proper uh, legal and biblical protocol is to take that to the church leadership, which was you, the pastor, and then immediately uh, to the law. And so... Just our listeners, just just remember that. Very important. So anyway, after I did that, I contacted the leaders of our church uh, that were under me, and I contacted my youth pastor, <laughs> told him what happened. And the perpetrator happened to be there at his house at that time. And so he took him in the back, and he interrogated him, and uh, and he the perpetrator spilled his guts to uh, Pastor Jesse, uh, my youth pastor. And uh, he called me back to tell me what happened, what he said. And I said, we're going to cancel tonight's services, and I want to have a meeting with you, him, and and his mother, and Mary Ann. And I said, we need to meet uh, tonight. And I want you to officiate the meeting, and this is what I would like to to have to accomplish. So, um, and, uh, so after that I had contacted his mother and told her what happened. The perpetrator's age was about what? 19. Mm -hmm. Called the mother up and she, uh, didn't take it as seriously as we took it. Um, and I'll just say that much. I won't go any further than that. But when we met that evening, um, he was there, she was there, my wife was there, uh, Pastor Weber was there, and he officiated the meeting. And uh, I told them that they needed to leave the church and uh, we need to process this thing biblically. They need, if they want to go to church, they need to go somewhere else. But I told them what we what I had done. Um, and, uh, of course, she didn't want her son being arrested, et cetera, et cetera. But I knew that I had to do the right thing. And then from that point on, I had to um, gather myself mentally. And I met together with my leaders. I told them what happened. They were appalled at what happened. Uh, uh, and then... After, I tried to do it very delicately with the people. I did not. It was not a public announcement. It was a something that uh, we went to family to family to tell them what happened, 
and um, that took a number of weeks to take to, to for, for us to do. It's just something that captures your thinking. You can't think of anything else. Your whole world stops. You're looking through this lens now, the, a whole new lens of, of life. And uh, you lay your head down at night. You can't sleep because it just goes on and on and on. And you get almost no sleep. And you wake up and face another day. And people get bits and pieces of the information. And they process. They get an ounce of information. They get a pound of opinion. And uh, they get two pounds of, uh, of, of sharing it with other people. You know, and uh, most of the time take things from bad to worse. This is the part of the story that I want our listeners to just be very sensitive, pray for wisdom, pray a hedge of thorns about your your leaders uh, and their children. And uh, when you hear anything, uh, take it to the Lord and not to others. Keep the circle as small as possible. Uh, And if you have to get more information, uh, get it from the source and keep lay low with that because and all, sometimes I think people mean well, but they're really making it worse. And so when Pastor Larry said we went family to family, do you realize the, the agonizing horror of that? And, and that, that wound just keeps getting picked open again and again, and they do it as the pastoral lead, leaders in the church to protect the flock. And here's the, here's the pastor and his wife and family needing prayer, and yet they're on the hot seat. They got to kind of take this, and people, well, was it that bad that what he did and all that? And oh my, oh my, oh my, uh, take it to the Lord, uh, keep your mouth shut, <laughs> learn to pray and go only to authority and don't be part of making something worse. So end of my tie right for now. <laughs> well, I had, uh, there's two things I needed to address. First of all, I needed to address uh, and minister to my family, my wife, my daughter that were hurting uh, so bad. And my other daughter, Jocelyn, as Who well. Who is my daughter-in-law. <laughs> And, uh, and I had to minister, but I was also the leader of the church. I was the lead pastor of the church, and I had to take care of business with them as well. And I'm thankful for the help that I got from uh, my, uh, my deacons with that. But uh, with my daughter, um, she was so confused. Uh, being violated at a very young age, she didn't know what to think. And we got into counseling, and I had to get into counseling. I was a mess. I was a mess, and this this did not get fixed quickly. <laughs> this took years, and the fires that I had in my heart to do something for the kingdom of Christ waned, went out. Uh, it really did, and I it I couldn't I couldn't fire them up no matter how hard I tried. And I I'm thankful to the Lord that you know I had people like you, Pastor Duke, to talk to and and share my heart with. And I also, there was another fellow that I really trusted in the ministry. His name's Pastor Bob Hart. And uh, I bore my heart with him. And I know that he prayed for me. And uh, as I was licking my wounds at my house, I kind of withdrew. I began, I went into a clinical depression. Uh, and Bob Hart, Pastor Bob Hart, stopped over to my house one day, unannounced. And he just knocked on my door, and there he was, and I was the only one home, and he came in. He said, how you doing? And I told him how I was doing, and as I began to break down and cry in front of him, and I told him what Marianne was going through and what Steffi was going through, uh, and uh, he said, Larry, he said, I hate to tell you this. He said, but you're going to have to leave the pastorate. He said, I, he said you need... <laughs> In order for your family to heal properly, you're uh, you're going to need to leave. And quite frankly, I never thought about quitting the ministry. Quit is not in my vocabulary, but God got to my heart, and I knew that I wanted my family to get well. And I, if that meant me leaving the pastorate, then so be it. So I discussed it with my wife, Mary Ann. She was all on board. She agreed, we need to leave. <laughs> uh, and then we talked about how to process this thing with, uh, with Stephanie and then with the church, blah, blah, blah. So first thing we needed to do is we needed to sit down with Stephanie to tell her that. And I sat 
I remember there being at the kitchen table, sitting, the three of us. I said, Steph, I said, listen, we want to do everything in our power to help you get better. And I said, in order for us to do that, it's important for us that we, uh, the daddy resign as pastor and that we, we leave Berean Baptist Church. And when I was done, Steffi said, Dad, she said, we're not leaving the church. I said, yes, we are. She says, no, we're not. I says, yes, we are. <laughs> and we were kind of going back and forth. She said, Dad, listen, you've taught me not to be a quitter. She says, and we're not going to quit. We can, we can get through this together, and uh, I want you to remain the pastor of the church. And uh, my wife and I looked at each other. We began to cry uh, when we heard that because we were determined to leave. I mean, when I, once I set my mind to do something, I normally follow through with it, but that was like God speaking to our hearts saying, it's not time yet. Um, so we remained in that church, and my daughter continued to get counseling. Um, there was times she wanted to take her life. We had to take her not only uh, to get counseling, but I remember bringing her to Four Winds, and that was a very non-eventful thing. It did not help her a bit. But uh, It's a uh, mental health uh, hospital in the capital region here in New York State, and uh, yeah, I've been in and out of four winds visiting people for years and years and years. And, um, yeah, the, the secular approach to this, if anything, only made it worse. It did. It did. But, uh, uh, and then she, um, we tried putting her uh, in different schools. We hope. Took her to a Christian school. That was not good because she was bullied there. And and I'll tell you, she went. Uh, bullying is a terrible thing because uh, that did that just kind of compounded the problem that she had. Um, she ended. We ended up eventually homeschooling her just to kind of get her through. Uh, and then, uh, but over time, um, you know, she we got her through the schooling and. It was, I, I can't even, it becomes a blur. I kind of look back, it's still kind of a blur to me, all the things that happened. But I knew that even though we remained in the church, I still stayed the senior pastor. In hindsight, and I think, and I shared this with you last night, I really needed to take a sabbatical from the ministry and should have done that. In hindsight, I, I would have, uh, but uh, I didn't. And I forced myself to kind of keep the church together, but eventually I knew the fires never came back, and I knew I needed to head, I needed to step down, and that's what I did. And I happened to have a guy that I had trained, Jesse Weber, as our youth pastor, and I spoke to him about would he be interested in uh, being my successor. He said he would, and uh, that all happened. Um, in January of 2014, when I stepped down as senior pastor, he became the new senior pastor. So this was not something that happened overnight. From the conflict to the to stepping down from lead pastor to just staff, that was a period of how many years? Seven, what? eight? No, it, the event took place in 2008. I stepped down in 2014, so that's six years. Six years. Yeah, so... Six long, uh, difficult, uh, agonizing years in ministry. And the part of the story that I know that uh, Pastor Lee did not bring up, and, and, and perhaps we don't want to develop it at all, but there were people that, that it was shocking to me that there were people that actually kind of um, gravitated and had sympathy towards the, the violator, uh, the, the, the criminal, uh, and, and not towards the victim. And, uh, you know, that old, uh, I think it was a Rolling Stone song, Sympathy for the Devil. Mm-hmm. Whoa. And that happens. Uh, and it's very prevalent in our world today. We're, uh, you know, catch and release uh, in reference to uh, uh, crime in New York State. It does not work. The scriptures are very clear. The purpose of government is for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those that do well. 
And uh, we're living in a confusing day where a lot of people call good evil and evil good. And there was, uh, uh, unfortunately, there was sympathy for, uh, not not church-wide, but there were people who should have circled the wagons around the victim, and they kind of circled the wagons around the, the, the criminal. And that is inexcusable, and it's heartbreaking. And that just added insult to the injury uh, for the pastoral family who was bleeding. And so I just thought I'd throw that in, Pastor Larry. <laughs> yeah, well, that was extremely painful. Um, and uh, it just goes to show you really need to pray for your pastor because Satan's not happy with any spiritual progress he might be doing. And But in, in the end, uh, that was devastating to us. And it wasn't a lot of people, but it's just a, hand, a few. And, uh, hey, I have to leave that with the Lord. Let the Lord deal with those people that sided with the perpetrator. They wanted to give character references for him, and, and uh, which was kind of blew our minds at the time. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, greater is he that is in uh, you than he that is in the world. And this is our victory in Christ Jesus. And by the blood of the Lamb, we overcome mm. And you endured hardship as a great soldier in Christ Jesus. And uh, you finished your course and, there, and you finished well, and you, you transitioned out from being lead pastor, uh, kind of like I did for a while, uh, just kind of carrying on to help uh, the next uh, generation and, 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 and there. So what a, an amazing work of God that he did, a, a church planted in the darkest region in America, according to Barna Survey, the capital region of New York <laughs> is the darkest city in America. What a great place to be, wasn't it? Great mission field. <laughs> I guess we didn't do our job uh, uh, as well as we would have liked to, but it was a dark place, and yet uh, that our lights shone in that darkness. And I just think of uh, our work. Uh, we just get launch our church in 1978. By 1981, we got uh, three preacher boys running around. It plant, went out and planted three different churches, and you you are one of them. And of course, we we had no clue in those days that our families would be hooked at the hip, and we'd share grandchildren together. And what a glorious story, God story that is. But that's not the end of the story. You know, you, you've stepped down and uh, a whole bunch of amazing things begin to unfold. Uh, you are on bo- you're a board member of an amazing ministry that our church supported as well, uh, Bible Open Air Missions called BOAM. Uh, and uh, tell us about that. This is exciting. This isn't something that's in the past. This is present, what God's doing now. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, when I, I stepped down in 2014, I stayed uh, on in the church. At, at, uh, it's now called Center Point Community Church for another three and a half years. I left there in 2017. And when I uh, left the church, I was still a staff person up to that point. But Bible Open Air Mission is a ministry that we supported since 1992. I met the founder, Art Williams, back in 1984 when I went to a missionary conference in Mansfield, Ohio, at a church called Cook Road Baptist Church. Um, That's Pastor Duke's home church. And uh, I believe I knew Art Williams personally. We supported him. I think he was the best, one of the best missionary investments we at Berean Baptist Church could possibly make. But uh, in doing that work was... um, (laughs) Uh, an arduous task for evangelism. He would go into the subways of New York City. Um, he would present the gospel. He'd use sketchboards at some places. There he basically used rope illusions. But there he would present the gospel, and people would get saved. And I didn't, had no problems financially and prayerfully supporting a ministry such as that. But that was out of my comfort zone. I could glad I could and pay somebody else to do that job. However, when I did step down, uh, as uh, at, at, when I left Berean Baptist or Center Point at the time, he had, Art had contacted me and he said, "Would you please consider being on our executive board?" Well, I hadn't. Uh, I wanted to fill my shoes doing something. I said, "Sure, I would." I felt prayed about it, felt led to do that, and I became part of the executive board of Bible Open Air Mission and went down and learned everything I possibly could about their ministry. But lo and behold, the Holy Spirit knocked on my door, and he said, 
I want, I just don't want you to be part of the um, leadership. So throwing money at it. <laughs> he said, I want you to get <laughs> involved. <laughs> okay. New I, York City subway. Here comes Larry DeNovo. <laughs> he said, I, God says, I, I want you to get involved doing this. And I said, Lord, I'll be comfortable being in the open area. He says, I'll, I'll get you. The, I'll get you through it. So. To make a long story That's short. That's a fancy name for getting in people's face right out on the street, cold turkey. And that, not rudely at all, but, I mean, straight up, yeah, very few people are wired for this. And you weren't one of them. No, I was I, but, <laughs> I became, but I became one of them. Uh, so, anyway. So, the, God took you out of your comfort zone, huh? Took me out of my comfort zone. Yeah, he has the right to do that. And... Uh, our, I went down to uh, Plainfield, New Jersey. Actually, it was beautiful because I could go down to uh, Caldwell, New Jersey, and go to. I could stay at Pastor du, uh, Pastor Dave Bulka's house, and he was only like a thirty-minute bus ride to Port Authority into Albany or into New yeah. York City, and uh, it made it convenient. But our, I went into the subways of Manhattan with Art Williams on a monthly level. And I would spend the entire day doing it, watching him. And then I began doing it. And so I began to cut my teeth in the subways of Manhattan uh, doing open-air ministry and began to love it, began to love it. I had its, I mean, it had its challenges. We had to deal with hecklers, um, but we saw fruit. And, uh, and I love the concept of the open air. I mean, Jesus did most of his ministry in the open air. But the beauty of the open-air ministry is you're bringing the church to the people instead of bringing the people to the church. Yeah. You know, you're bringing the message to them. They're on their way to work. They're in a hurry, and they got to stop for three minutes waiting for a train, and somebody's there to tell them Jesus loves them. Amen. Amen. Well, Art, <laughs> uh, Art was about 89 at the time. No, was he 88, 89? <laughs> He's been in the ministry. He's been doing the open air ministry for over sixty years. I love the man. He's a, he's one of my uh, spiritual heroes, and I still love him to this day. And he needed to step down. He stepped down as the, um, as the director, and he appointed a, a Manny Subramani. He's uh, the international director of Boam. They are in um, eighteen different countries. The biggest contingent they have is in India where they have 204 churches. What I loved about the concept of Boeing, a Bible open air mission is they would go into a third world country like India. They would do the open air ministry and it wasn't a transient crowd like it is in New York City. People would come back the next week or the next day and so there was a gathering of people coming to see, hear the, the preaching and out of that uh, gathering, they would develop a Bible study that, that would meet weekly. And in that group, that evangelist would uh, pray for someone in that group to become the pastor. And, uh, and those Bible studies became churches. And today, like I mentioned, there's 204 churches in India right now as I speak. Manny Subramanian was Indian is Indian, and uh, he got saved in India. He joined hands with Art back in the 1990s, um, and he has proven himself, and today he's doing a phenomenal work. He's a great mobilizing leader. Uh, he goes into these different countries, uh, these 18 different countries, and by the way, there's more countries that want us to come in. There's, there's the countries that are asking us to come and minister to their people, and there's not enough time <laughs> pray you therefore the lord of the harvest who sent forth laborers amen. laborers are few amen so and i'm grateful to be part of that work and still am and the lord well, for, for our listeners uh, many pastors listen to this uh give a little uh, shout out for boam and how they might get connected with a uh, bible opener mission and and you and give your contact information and all that right now yeah i mean the website is boam.org bibleopenairmission.boam.org uh, i mean just con just go to the website all the contact information is you'll see some videos on where we are what we're doing um and how you can get involved uh, we would love to have you participate um 
and we'd love to come to your church. I mean, as a matter of fact, I'm one of the representatives at large. Uh, I've been to several churches presenting that ministry to different churches. Still am doing it, of course. Just recently, this past three months, I moved from the Capital District in New York State down here to uh, the South Carolina area just outside of Charlotte. I don't I know a whole lot more pastors and churches up in the Northeast than I do down here. So I haven't started anything down here, but I'm more than open to doing that. We have other guys that are on the executive board that also represent the ministry. We'd love to have uh, Manny, our, uh, Manny Subramanian, our international director, do that. However, we need him out on the field. We need him out there training evangelists and overseeing things. That's his sweet spot. It is. It is. Uh, and uh, so he's kind of depending on people like myself and other leaders in the ministry uh, to represent BOAM to the local church. So if you have an interest, um, please uh, go to the website or contact me directly. It's, it's my name, Larry DeNovo at gmail.com. L-A- Spell uh, your L-A-R-R-Y-D-I-N-O-V-O at gmail.com. Be happy to um, follow up with you and uh, love to be able to come to your church and uh, share our ministry with you. Yeah, Boehm is a, a ministry that we got hooked up with way back when. He Art Williams was the uh, con- connected with War Life Bible Institute up in Scroon Lake, New York, Jack Wirtz, and way back in, in those days. And uh, Word of Life would take... Uh, groups of young people down to New York as their their outreach and he would teach them open air ministry and so we got hooked up with Art Williams through Word of Life way back in I think the 80s and then he transitioned his ministry from I think something into Boam and then we always thought Boam you know well they just go into New York and and give the gospel and hook people up with local churches which they did but then it just took off and became a mission board into third world countries and church planting and missionaries it just it's an amazing work of God and so uh, uh, uh Pastors listening to this, this is this is the real deal. God is doing huge things, and you know, to take a classic American missionary, got to go to Bible college for four years. What's that cost? And then he's got to do an internship for uh, a year or two, and he's got to raise his support on deputation for another two to three years. Then he's got to go to a, a field uh, and learn the language, and so he's got about 10, 12 years and uh, maybe $800,000 wrapped up to get one couple on the mission field to see if they can do something for God. And this just circumvents all of that. you got these guys right on the field, people who already know the language, they and they train them, and it, it happens. So you talk about a huge bang for your missionary buck. Mm. This is incredible. And uh, go you therefore and teach all nations. And this this just flat out works. And so it's an amazing work of God. And we've been part of it for years and years and years. And, of course, uh, you got connected uh, kind of at a, a different contact than I did. And uh, so we've been uh, supporters at, at uh, Temple Baptist Church at Newtown Road. We've been supporters of this ministry forever. And it is probably the best bang for our missionary buck ever. And it's just exciting to see the great work that God's doing. And uh, I didn't even realize that you were kind of coming up into that there uh, on on the board and all that for, uh, it was quietly happening behind, behind the scenes because Larry doesn't go out and toot his own horn. So <laughs> I'm just forcing him to put this out in front of you. Uh, so give us a couple more thoughts about uh, Boam. I'm and, so glad uh, you brought that up because that's the beauty. That's the strength uh of the ministry is training nationals. Just to give you a little reference point, our work with open air campaigners. Yes, that's the one I couldn't think of. Yep. They he worked with them from uh, 1960 to like 1992, but their primary thrust is evangelism only. But he said we need to do more. We need to plant churches because churches once churches get planted, we can they can keep on going on producing evangelistic uh, outreaches. And uh, so that's when he started that in 1992 is when he started. We had, as a matter of fact, we had art at a missionary conference in 1992 back in Berea, and we took him on for support. Um, and he is phenomenal at communicating, and so is Manny Subramanian, our new director. These are giants among God's people, just plain and simple. They're Amen. giants. 
they're very accountable, very accountable um, to the local churches. Uh, and uh, I just thank the Lord that he led me into this ministry. And now, let me just kind of move on. Maybe you're, you're going to segue into this. Yes, you're now right. that I'm down here in Charlotte, uh, now that I'm here down in Charlotte, I, I'm still part of the executive board, but I feel a strong calling to the, Char- the city of Charlotte. And uh, we came down here, my wife and I, a year ago, just to survey the city. And we, we traveled in there. We went to the main transit center. It's called CATS in Charlotte. And we weren't, except, we, 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 we weren't exactly sure what we'd receive, but we went in there. I started taking photographs. It's a beautiful terminal. They've got like 69 different buses and, and one monorail that comes in to that transit center. And a law enforcement officer stopped me from taking photographs. They said, you can't take photographs here. I said, why is that? They said, it's just against the law. They said, why are you here? I said, well, I'm a retired minister, and I have a desire to come here and minister to people here in the terminal. And they said, wow. They said, we could use you. I said, could you say that again? You don't hear that in New York. <laughs> <laughs> New York, where you get a dirty look, a left hook, and your money took. That's on a good day. <laughs> My wife heard that, and she began to cry. <laughs> because it was like we were praying about this, and was like that was God's confirmation. This is where I want you to come. And since I've been down here, when we got settled here, this is our... Uh, we've been here three months now and, uh, and, and just, just down from Charlotte, South Carolina, we've, uh, I've gone in there uh, about three times now and, uh, I'm cutting my teeth and getting to understand that, that field there in Charlotte. A little bit different than a New York city crowd, huh? Oh, uh, totally. But it's a Metro crowd and it's kind of becoming a, a huge, uh, a melting pot right here in the South. And, um, I think God's got great things for, Pastor Larry DeNovo and his precious wife, Mary Ann, and uh, Pastor uh, Joellen and I feel this is where God is leading us. Um, I got a piece of property about uh, 300 feet from where we're sitting right now, and I got it uh, locked in, and we uh, might be sharing, uh, uh, signing a document here shortly to start building our house. It will be your neighbor, and we'll share these grandkids together and uh, raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, Pastor Larry, thank you so much for uh, uh, being my friend, and uh, thank you for providing a wonderful, beautiful uh, daughter, uh, <laughs> wife for my son. And uh, do we got pretty little granddaughters and grandson or what? Oh, they're, my God. They're the greatest. They got us wrapped around their little finger. He's Nano, and I'm Papa. <laughs> we got Nana, which is, that's, a, that's a Italian, right? Italian yeah. for Grandma and Grandpa. That's right, right yeah. Yeah, I'm the Hungarian Papa. So anyway, <laughs> hey, folks, thanks for tuning us in. I appreciate if you would like, subscribe, uh, well, share, all that kind of stuff, and uh, get the gospel out. Hope this was a blessing to you, and, and take it to heart. Uh, we're in a battle, and preachers are Satan's greatest target. And so keep us all in your prayers. We love you. Bye-bye for now.